Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen. Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups. It's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Blog Talk Radio. With every child, there is a solution. Explore a variety of educational solutions at mayorjohnson.com while saving 20% by using promo code SOLUTION20 at checkout. I want to thank tonight's sponsor, Mayor Johnson. They are the world's super source for special education products and assistive technology tools. So um, go on over there. That's mayorjohnson.com. And welcome to Inspire. This is Marianne Russo. Inspire is my new show on the Coffee Clatch Special Needs Talk Radio Network. And tonight, autism is my universe. So how about we not call it a disability? Michael Buckholtz has been a multi-platinum record producer, songwriter, performer, author, foundation head, and advocate who just happens to have Asperger's. And Michael Buckholtz's raw, unflinching, and really humorous account of his life with Asperger's is written in his new book. And it is really a refreshing departure from any other books that you're going to read on autism or Asperger's. And tonight, you will be informed awakened and inspired. And I'm doing this interview a little bit differently than I've ever done another any interview. And I will be featuring quotes from our guest because I really found his quotes to really give you a glimpse into this man and this incredible universe that he's writing about. So um, let's start with the first quote. My life experience is not typical of many who are diagnosed as being on the spectrum. However, some who've escaped being labeled, like me, just simply ignore the label or who have fantastic family support tend to manage better than those convinced they will somehow never be productive members of society. My mission is to destroy that notion. I've seen children with no arms, no legs doing well because their parents treated them like nothing was wrong. They are just loved and supported. It's all in how children are treated in the formative years, and I've come to believe those years don't actually end. Michael Buckholtz. I am so pleased to welcome back Michael Buckles. How are you? I'm fantastic. How are you, Marianne? I'm hanging in there. You're always fantastic, Michael. I love having you on the show. Thanks. I appreciate that. You know, when I when I saw that quote, you know, I was thinking that, you know, oftentimes parents really fear the diagnosis of Asperger's. You know, as well probably as adults like yourself, because you weren't diagnosed until you were in your thirties. And you know, correct. you said it's important to embrace it and not fear it. So how do you think dismissing the label can sometimes help the child? Well, I used the phrase that my mother used, which was, she never got the memo, and that's how she raised it. She raised it. She knew that there was a different way that her children were thinking, how they were uh, perceiving things or how they were taking in information, but she had no one to tell her, this is what they're doing, and or this is the kind of treatment you need to give them for the way that they're thinking. None of that happened to her. She was just winging it, if you will. That whole energy that she had is, is what really helped 
me and my siblings to this day. You know, we are doing the things that we are best at because that was how that was how she was able to connect with us. Uh, for, uh, she used music uh, as an overall way to connect, and we all play some type of, we're all musical in some way, form, or fashion. But we are doing the thing that we're supposed to be doing. Uh, I'm doing music, my older brother's doing um, graphics, artwork, and uh, my younger brother's doing um, a techno- technology work. So, I, I and were all of your siblings? Would you say that they were all at some point, at some degree, on the spectrum? Yes, I I have no doubt now that they are because of what I went through to you know to um, during my own diagnosis process. It helped me to understand uh, a little bit of what is actually happening with all of my siblings. I can clearly see, you know, what what is going on in their lives and how um, being on the spectrum affects their lives. I mean, I can clearly see that. I mean, I'm no psychologist or psychiatrist, but because I've been through the process, I can clearly see it with them. And, you know, it must have been interesting because, you know, all of you probably, um, you know, related to things differently than others. So oh, it, it was probably, you know, it was probably the norm. It, it was the norm. We we never really looked at things. Uh, I mean, our our normal was our own world. It, it was the world that we created. We, we never really <clears throat> were worried about what other people thought about the things that we did. I, I'll never forget that my, my our normal or my normal was my mom making our clothes. I mean, this is in the seventies, you know. Right. <laughs> And, and you know, and and so that that's what she did. She made our clothes, and even if she made a shirt and a pair of pants that were exactly like my older brothers, I, it, that didn't bother me. It wasn't a big deal. As a matter of fact, we would go to the you know Tom McCann's and buy the same set of hush puppies. I mean, it was it, it didn't matter to us. I mean, we we did not care that that was not the norm or why are you wearing the same things and you know that that. that to us, it didn't matter. We had clothes on; and they were clean, and that was that was enough. Right. And you grew up in uh, Georgia. Uh, half and half. I grew up uh, in New Jersey, and I grew up in Georgia. Yeah. So I, I mean, you know, it. Culture <laughs> <laughs> Talk about culture shock. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, when you think back now, you know, if you had a diagnosis as a child, you know, how do you think that may have affected your mother's parenting, you know, or your path? You know how, you know how it really was a non-issue in your home. What do you think if it was an issue? It, it, it's it's hard for me to speculate. And I guess that's true for anyone. But if I were to speculate, I would think along that that you would see some of what folks see now when their child gets a diagnosis. There's this horror that something is wrong, instead of wow, this is you know enlightening. Uh, it, it, the the, the I guess the decision to go towards the horrifying is always going to be the first instance. Uh, and then you start to get, get into realizing what's going on. Uh, I'll never forget I saw an interview uh, with um, two uh, parents who have a, a daughter, and they have other children that, they're, that they've raised, uh, but they have a daughter that um, she doesn't age. She's basically the same size, the same 
mm-hmm. mental capacity, and she's 20 years old. Right. But she she's the size of a small toddler. She They actually still have her in a stroller. So they were asked the question, well, you know, how do you deal with it and what are you going to do now? And I'll never forget what the mother said. She said, you know what, we're just moving on. We, we know we're going to have this responsibility for however long she's going to live. And right now she's 20 years old and she's still a toddler. We still have to change her diaper. She's still, you know, we can still pick her up. She is no bigger than a, a baby. And we just, we realize that this is it. So, you know what, we're not trying to fix her, find a cure. Well, that's... We're just going to take care of her. And I thought that that was so powerful because they basically have a baby for the rest of their lives. Right. <laughs> and, right. And, yeah, and, I've read and, I've read about that family. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and to say and to say to people who keep asking them, you know, what are you going to do, and are you going to, you know, be a, you know, are you going to go out there and, you know, tell the world about this disease, and what is, what are you going to do to change the? And they're like, we're not going to change the world. <laughs> we're not going to do it. Just, you know, it takes a not. long time to get there. I mean, you know, we right. as parents, we like to fix things, especially with our children. Exactly. And, you know, the problem is they're not broken. No. And that's where parents really stumble. And I stumbled for a long time. And, you know, I've told you, that's why I started, hey, um, you know, this I, network. I said it, right, and I said it about my mother. I mean, she she said she stumbled for 30 years. Yep. So, you know, and, and then after she, after I got my diagnosis and it was, and it was very, very like in your face. This is what he has. Then, then it was. Then she spent more time going. See, you got Asperger's. That's why you, you know. And it's just like really. <laughs> <laughs> so at some point, she said, "You know what? I had to drop all the prejudice. I had to drop all the, you know, language. And you're just Michael. You're just my son. And wow, you're amazing. And you know, called me little Bill Gates. All this stuff. Like there was all these reasons why." She now knows why she did all that stuff, but it, it, mm-hmm. it like you said, it, it takes time to get to that acceptance place. Exactly. And guess what? I understand that, so I speak that. I don't. I don't go to parents and you need to. You need to change. Your, I don't do that because I understand. I understand it may take a parent ten years, fifteen years, twenty years in that family's case. Look, she's twenty years old and she's still the size of a baby, and we still have to take care of her. They just came to that place. You know, we're not going to try to fix her. We're done. And it's, you know, it's it's important also for the for the child because, you know, I know that one time my daughter said this to me, and I think that it just it, it smacked reality right, it just smacked me right across the face. Where she was like, "Well, you know, I grew up and I felt I felt broken because we were going from doctor to doctor and therapy and therapy to try to fix me." Wow. And it, and I realized. That that was the message she was getting, and it wasn't being told to her. But you know, I think parents have to be really careful in the words they choose and in the approach in which they they let their kids know why they're doing the things they're doing. Because you know, that's got to be a really lousy way to feel. But you know, Asperger's itself affects everyone very differently. You know, and, and there are a lot of common traits, but. Much of the differences involve perception of emotions, relatedness, you know, appropriate responses to situations. And, you know, basically, to me, it it seems to be just looking at the world through a different lens. And on this, you wrote, 
The way I process information hasn't changed. I have to observe, maybe for many months, how a person deals with or reacts to different situations than I. I literally have to rehearse them. I will act them out audibly so I can hear myself talking. It's sort of like thinking out loud. Once I'm satisfied with the way I respond to facial movements, tones, hand gestures, um, as anyone else would do normally, I try to see if it gets the desired response. Um, You also said that that's the way I learn and process emotions. I just don't feel emotions. I have to observe, rehearse, and then test it on someone who unfortunately is unsuspecting of my intentions. So I love that. You know, your your way of processing the world, when I was reading that quote, then I was reading a bit more, you know, from the book, it just seems exhausting. But to you, it's probably just knee-jerk. Is that correct, or do you consciously, is it exhausting? You know what? You actually hit on it. It is exhausting. And, And that is one of the things that I have to help people to understand, is when I don't want to go out, when when the, when the, the sun has gone down, I've already spent that much time analyzing, observing, and doing all of this stuff, and I'm exhausted. I'm not just tired. I'm exhausted. My brain is spent because I'm really trying to figure out where someone is coming from and how something is affecting them, and did, did I go through a certain thing, or can I remember or recall an instance when that same thing or something similar happened to another person or to myself so that I can equate it to how someone is requiring that I respond? This is how I go through my day. (laughs) It's amazing. (laughs) And, you know, I mean, did you do this as a child? You know, there... The only thing that I can tell you about when I was much younger was, and and I've often said this even to my parents, I actually just thought I was a small adult. I never thought I was a kid. I never thought I was some kid. I just thought I was part of the adult world. I felt comfortable with adults. Adults were the people that I wanted to hang with. And, and, And the kids around me were not, where I wanted to be. I I always felt like I was not where I was supposed to be. At school, I hung with the teachers. Right. So common, yeah. Yeah, when you do that, that the kids call you the teacher's pet and all this other stuff. But I actually didn't care. I actually enjoyed having conversations with teachers. I always thought that they were more on the level of my thinking process. So that was always my way of doing things. I, I, I seemed to just always be ahead of people or trying to think in terms of what's going on. And and I and I really didn't have an issue with um emotional stuff. Uh I didn't have girlfriends or anything like that during that time. So I didn't I wasn't trying to relate to anyone. You know what I mean? So during right. during the, younger years I wasn't trying to relate to anybody. <laughs> well at at um, some point I, you I, have I, to I, realize I yeah, I may have had a crush or something. I wasn't trying to relate to those people. It was just, you know, something that I was feeling at the time. But um, I think when I got older and I had to make a way for myself and I was in the military, and you know, I was literally living, you know, independently, people would always tell me, well, don't you just love that? And I'm just like, well, what's that? What are you, 
what's loving something, you know? So yeah, I, I, you know, was, I was always, you know. Yeah, that really is, you know, what I wanted to get to now, and, I, and for two reasons. Number one, because I'm just really curious. Um, and second of all, because because parents are so hurt by that. And I don't I don't mean that in a blasé way at all. It's painful um, for the parents. So you said you just don't feel emotions. And, and I find that really interesting. Like I said, I'm curious and confused because you are a really emotional guy in my eyes. You are very passionate. Well, I think I think maybe and at the time that I wrote that I was probably, you know, trying to figure out a way to say that. But but let me put it this way. And this is, you know, since I've, you know, of course I'm older now, but um what I think is this. It's not so much emotions. Uh, I I do feel that stuff. But but it's not in the same way that people feel, um, you know, it's not the squishy, stomachy stuff. It's not the butterflies. And the, it, I don't feel that stuff. For me, it's, it's, it's very specific, pertinent knowledge about someone. It's, it's things like honor. It's things like integrity. It's things like honesty. Those types of things I have a deep, respect for. I have a deep respect for logic. I have a deep respect for facts. I I have a deep respect for you know, those types of behaviors, those types of uh, actions and attitudes. Yeah, that's the word, attitudes. I love those right. types of attitudes. Joy. When people are truly joyful about something. When someone is you know, kind. When someone someone is forgiving. That kind of stuff, that just appeals to me above everything else. And and I think language, and this is something I learned after, interestingly enough, writing the book, language makes a difference. When you say things a certain way, it, it, it plays on people's emotions. And uh, the, the I guess the improper use of words like love uh, has really caused a problem in societies because you know people just kind of use it as a throwaway for for when they say something, and and that causes a problem with me because I'm not seeing love in something when someone says oh I just love that dress that's not true, mm-hmm. um, so so I have to I, I where I come from emotionally is that you have to speak truth you have to say exactly what you mean. Otherwise, you're just, you know, your communication to me about a certain feeling or a certain thing is, is just not real. Right, right. And, you know, let's face it, you know, no one really thinks the same, I don't think. I mean, we don't well, process exactly. things the same. And many people, and especially parents, just assume that everyone else thinks the way they do. And it is so key for parents and educators, I mean, for everyone, to really understand that, Processing and thinking differently is just that. It's just different. It's not right or it's not wrong. And a huge misconception um, is that people with Asperger's do not have empathy. So, Michael, let's knock that one right out of the park, because why don't you tell us about your foundation? Okay, the Foundation, Aid for Autistic Children Foundation. I started uh, Aid for Autistic Children Fund for one reason and one reason only, and that is to... Uh, provide debt forgiveness to uh, caregivers, uh, families, uh, and their autistic children, 
and autistic adults who are uh, in financial hardship, uh, hardship situations. This organization uh, I started back in 2007, uh, officially got it all together in 2008 and 2010, we got our 501c3. <clears throat> Six months after that, we helped the family, which I thought was amazing. Uh, just before Christmas, we were able to help them, uh, help a mother and uh, her son, her autistic son, get into a home. I mean, they were literally homeless by the time we had an opportunity to help them. Uh, I was just recently, like less than a week ago, in touch with the uh, faith-based nonprofit that assisted us in helping, literally holding the hand of that family to get them this relief. And it was an amazing thing. She, she was, she is still amazed that we were able to help her. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, this is like you know years later, and she's talked, and she's still excited about the fact that we were able to do that. So it really works. This program does. But the first thing people ask me is, how can we help? Um, we are a financed, a financial institution. So the way people can help is to donate, and they can go online at www.aacfinc.org, and right there at that home page, at the very top, there's a yellow donate button. When you click on that, it takes you to the donate page, and you can actually donate online. It's safe, it's easy, it's quick. Um, the smallest amount doesn't matter what it is. Uh, to the largest amount, which is, you know, up to you, uh, up to each person to do that. But we can't run this program unless we have the finances to do so and the funds to help people. There is no government program or grant that gives us funds to do this. I wish there were. There isn't. Right. Uh, so we we rely completely on the, the graces of the general public uh, and, you know, we uh, will have some uh, sort of a campaign, hopefully by April, that I'll be able to put out there uh, for everyone to uh, get involved in. But this is, you know, this is a simple thing. Um, we're just looking for people to give once. And uh, I have it all figured out how, how folks can do that, um, and that that's coming soon. But and, and it really that. just changes lives. I mean, it, it really it does. It totally changes lives. I mean, this this family did not have a home, like nothing. Right. And and now they have a home. Now they have a situation where, you know, he's safe and she's safe, and you know they can do what they need to do. The, the Senate uh, senator's uh, office was amazed. I mean, they were just like, "You're going to do what?" <laughs> so I mean, we really had a lot of help down there, and people just. Um, just bewildered at somebody thinking of this type of a thing to do, but I think it's necessary. And it's one time. It's not something we do over and over again. It's one right. shot. It's a second opportunity to get it right. We get rid of your debt because generally it's mostly accumulated because of the things we have to do for our autistic children it, it's a family environmental circumstance. It, it it's literally becomes a humanitarian issue, uh, and that's the way we look at this. We don't look at it in any other kind of way. We're very specific, and we stay focused on the financial issue. I'm not trying to empower anybody. I'm not trying to do anything. This is, this is an empowerment that happens because you no longer have that issue to deal with. 
these families already want to do something for their children. They just can't. So when you give them the opportunity and they're freed up, and they're like, wow, I'm free. I can actually do something. Right. And, well, uh, Michael, I think that that pretty much uh, clears up the myth that people with Asperger's do not have empathy. There it is. Uh, Because (laughs) there it is. We don't need to say anything else. (laughs) Uh, But, you know, that's the problem. And that's really, I think, what flips people out is because there are so many myths about, you know, what a person with Asperger's is like, that they're unfeeling, that they're unloving, that they have no empathy. And it's just not true. Well, I'm here. I'm here. Ask me what you want. We're going to break some of those myths. We're going to tear all that stuff up. We're going to destroy all that stuff today. Yep. Yes, we are. And, you know, let's let's go on. Let's take it a step further. Um, you know, the tr- you, one of your quotes is, the traditional view, especially in the Bible Belt, is that nothing is really wrong with you if you are an African American. You just need more spiritual guidance or just snap out of it, and that will solve the problem. Wow, so do you still you feel that... <laughs> I, do my, I do my homework, Michael. <laughs> do, you, do you still feel that race plays a role in autism and um, in the support that these children get? Um, this is... Okay, I'm I'm going to answer this in the best way that I know how because this is one of those areas, Marianne, where language is important, mm-hmm. and I do I mean this with all of my heart. Language is so important here. Race is a myth itself. That's just me. I mean, and I'm I'm as brown as you can get, um, and so to me, it, it, it it's more of a and I, I literally wrote this down because it came to me in another quote, uh, and you'll probably see it. Um, this this really is is less about race and more about the perception that emotionally and mentally there's something less superior or less um, equal about someone who is of a certain skin color or someone who is of a certain ethnicity that that they're that they are less than or that they do not stand up to some form of equalness uh, to make up a word but that's really where this comes from. It doesn't come from, oh, that person's racist. It doesn't come from that. And I know I'm probably going to hear some stuff <laughs> because I said that. But I'm a brown person telling you what, what happens. It's, it's not from a, a, a racist thing. It's because someone is deciding that you are less than they are. And that can right. apply to anybody. That can apply to somebody who thinks that a Jewish person is less than them or that an Irish person is less than them. And that thing has happened. That has that has happened over a period of time in this country. So it's so uh now the dynamics of having brown skin is a little bit different because you can't get rid of that. You don't you don't blend in, you stand out. So then that stigma stays with you because someone is looking at your skin first and then they go, ah, you know, that person is, you know, they're one of those people. Um, that's where the stigma comes in, the fact that a person looks a certain way, the fact that they have certain features, uh, certain skin color. 
um, that has nothing to do with race. That has something to do with that that person thinking that because a person has brown skin and certain features, that they're inferior, that they're less than. Um, so it, it, what I try to do with that or what I have done with that is I crush that too. When people meet me, and, and, I, and here's the fun part, Marianne, I, I actually love the way I look because when I speak to people, it freaks them out. <laughs> you know, they're like, you authored a book? Your, your last name is Buckholz? What is that? That's German. And it's, you know, Jewish-German because I have Jewish relatives. What? You know, so I love the fact that I look the way I do because it's, it always surprises people that, you know, I, I love the fact that people are surprised that I speak and I can enunciate all my words. I, I love the fact that people are freaked out about that. Um, you know, I think it, we're it, really it, we're. Go ahead. It just it makes my life. It, I was just it just makes my life exciting. I, I I love it and it's exciting and it's fantastic all the time because there are so many different ways people are thinking about things and how they were brought up to to see things and to believe things, and just the sight of me and the, the sound of me just it just blows people away and i and i love it i re, i revel in it <laughs> but you know listen i mean i think we're coming into a world i mean lord knows we should be where, where differences are really embraced and yeah. you know i think we, we're finally getting there and it's it's, it's our I, generation I doing it no really um, you know, but I wanted to go back, you know, because I, I was just thinking as you were talking about, you know, embracing, you know, everybody as, as different and individuals. And, um, you know, something I wanted to talk to you before was about um, you had um, said in one of your quotes that um, parents should not fear um, the diagnosis. They should embrace it. And a lot of times parents get really angry because I say things like that, too. I do. And I they don't like it. And, you know, we're not talking about severe, <clears throat> excuse no. me, severe autism, where it is just heart-wrenching and these children are suffering. We are not talking about that. Uh, we're talking about a difference, just a difference in, in, in thinking. So, you know, how do you feel about that? How, like a lot of parents get really upset when you when you say you really need to embrace your child's differences. Yeah, and, and I, uh, I just want to agree with you on this matter and, and that, yes, there are going to be people on the spectrum that have other issues, that have other um, ailments, uh, conditions, you know, and, and and this is something I actually wrote about. Uh, it's, I, I think, unfortunately, um, the diagnosis of autism has literally taken a big leap uh, beginning in the 1990s. Mm -hmm. where doctors were simply, and practitioners is what I call them, because they're all practicing. Uh, practitioners were lumping all of these, some other things into the diagnosis of being autistic, uh, because Hans Asperger's um, 1944 peer-reviewed papers did not suggest all of those other things that are now lumped in. Uh, it only suggest, as a matter of fact, he called us little professors. He didn't, you know, he, there was nothing else going on. It, and, and when he finally finished his, you know, all of his research and studies on those 400 kids, his his research, then his response to that research was to build a school. It wasn't to right. create pharmaceutical, you know, you know, 
miracle drugs or anything. A school. Mm-hmm. So that should tell you everything that you need to know about what he thought autism was. <laughs> uh, I, I didn't know that. Autism. That's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So so that was his. That was the result of his study of these 400 children built a school well, because they needed a certain kind of education. They needed a certain kind of help educationally, not pharmaceutically. So since the 90s, they have jumped all this other stuff in there, whether it's uh, things that are happening with, with their gut, whether it's you know um, other types of uh, mental conditions and issues. They've lumped that all into autism and then said, you're on the lower end of the spectrum. Or if you don't have all of that stuff, and you seem like you're kind of halfway normal, you're on the higher end of the spectrum. So they've done all mm-hmm. of that, and that has created this convoluted understanding of what being autistic is uh, because then now people who are autistic are now believing that these other things that are wrong with them is part of them being autistic. Uh, I don't believe that. I, I like to stick to what Hans Asperger, which is what a lot of folks are named after, uh, came up with which is the little mm-hmm. professor part. That's the part that we uh, we perceive things differently. We learn differently. We have a different way of concentrating and focusing on certain things so that we become the masters of that thing, so that we innovate. You know, we have innovating thinking processes, and that's something that he focused on and noted and said, wow, these guys are brilliant. They just need some help in focusing that brilliance. Exactly. That's that's the difference now with what's going on. Doctors, practitioners, I call them again, they're just lumping all this other stuff in and saying your child is autistic. Because and there's and a lot of that's where these other things come from. PDD, NOS, not otherwise. Mm-hmm. You know, that's where that comes from because they don't know what else to to call it, and and they just don't want to say that your child ha- has you know uh, has brain damage or your child has this, or your child has that. They don't know what to call it. So they just lump it in there and say, well, he's autistic, but on the low end of the spectrum. I, you know, that's something that I still have some issues with because of my understanding of what the original documents say. But mm-hmm. when it comes to a parent, the parent, you have to respect where the parent is at that moment. And I know they're going to be angry. I know they're going to be upset. I know they're going to be frustrated and say, no, my child is this way, and I have to change their diaper, and they're 15, and I get that. If, if, if anybody understands that, I do. The thing is, is that your acceptance of whatever situation you have right now changes how your child is going to be. But there has to be that moment where you accept what's happening, where you stop, as you did, as my mom did, you stop fighting. You stop fighting against what's going on there. I'm 47. I'm not going to – I'm still the same. <laughs> so at some right. point, the parent has to say, you know what, I can be an activist only so long. You know, I need to be a parent. I need to be a mom. Right. I need to be a dad. I need to be – you know, I need to be that for my child, and I'm going to be that. Because being an activist and, and parents, is not That's right. And parents need to re- really project that in people in their lives. I mean, when 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 a parent goes to an IEP or a CSE meeting – 
Yes. If the first thing that people are talking about are all the deficits, that parent needs to turn it around and talk about all of the positives and all of the you know the wonderful things. I mean, these kids are not just special in their needs; they're special in their brilliance, and that is really a key role that you know a parent is is going to have to play. But I want to move on to a few other things. Um, another quote that you said was, "Those who vow to solve matters through violence arrogantly dismiss the rights of others to live safely and in peace." I want very, very briefly to talk about um, the tragedy, the recent tragedy, the horrific school shooting in Newtown, and, you know, your thoughts on the media's coverage and people's perception of Asperger's playing a role in that. Um, This is really simple for me. This is not about gun. It's not about, you know, all this other stuff. It's not even about politics. What it's about is our society and many other societies seem to have a conflict resolution issue. That's that's the main issue, and that's something that's passed on. That's something that's taught. You, you teach conflict resolution. You you learn that by example. So if by example you your way of solving a conflict is through threatening and violence that that you feel that that's going to get the attention that you need to get then that's how you're going to handle it we do what we practice as societies as families as a person um that's something that i understand is just a human uh complication you know that's something that we we have we we habits are created in 21 days and we and we keep it, but it can also be broken in 21 days, and we replace it with another habit. So that's right. that's an issue, and 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 that's the way I that's where I am with that. Uh, and, and I just think that focusing on the, the need to look at things in a less violent way when it comes to dealing with something, you know, having a gun nearby just makes it worse. Or having something yeah, I mean, I think I, yeah, my personal opinion is, um, and this is very personal opinion, but you know, my <laughs> personal opinion is is that you know, if you, if you have a child that you know um, has you know serious emotional issues, that has a lot of um, problems, that is unstable, that you know has difficulties with medication changes, dear Lord, don't have a gun in the house. I mean, I, I, I just think it's it's just reckless. I think it's just reckless, and it has nothing to do with the diagnosis of Asperger's I, I, I bipolar, totally, oppositional totally, defiant. Nothing to, to do with it. This is it's a yeah. it's a decision that someone is making, and they're not making the proper decision based on their environment and circumstances, and that's right. and that's something that haven't had nothing to do with whatever this person's diagnosis is, at, at zero. Right. At zero to right. And it was just a shame that, you know, it, it wound up that, you know, everything just got so so confused. But, you know, I want to move on because really, I mean, I look at your life. I mean, you're a multi-platinum record producer. You're an artist. I mean, I want you to tell us a little bit about what's going on. You know, I know that you've got some things going on in the music world. But, you know, I, I, I've been reading, you are just you're so focused and so successful, and you should be such an inspiration to parents. I mean, you have a recent ambassadorship. You have a recent award. I, I want you to tell us about this TV pilot coming up. You've okay. got so much going on. Just tell us, you know, what's going on with the music and what's going on yes. in your life. 
<laughs> okay, briefly, um, this is I have in February. I will be part of a TV pilot taping. Uh, my understanding is that the TLC network is looking for a specific kind of a program. Um, the, the host of that, her name is Joy Duchess L. Uh, you can find her uh, on Facebook. They call her the Duchess of Atlanta because she actually, that's the way they think of her in the community because she does so many things for people in the community. And uh, so I'm going to be a part of that in February. In March, um, there's an autism benefit concert for AFA Autistic Children Foundation uh, being thrown by the wonderful students uh, in Tustin, California, at Tustin High School. They are so amazing. Um, wow. In April, um, I have another um, gala. It's an award auction kind of thing. It's called uh, A Celebration of Autism. It will be on the 18th. That's uh, what we have so far. There's going to be a special announcement there about, you know, something that's going to be happening uh, in August. And in August, uh, there is going to be a trip to Nigeria, which is an amazing thing. Uh, I'll be speaking on behalf of, you know, our hosts, you know, to Nigeria. Uh, efforts to inspire the government uh, officials towards including people on the spectrum uh, in their societies, uh, educational system and workforce, uh, because that's something that's missing there. You know, they're trying to develop uh, schools and businesses and business concepts for them uh, because they know that these are brilliant kids and they, you know, and they want them to, and they have adults that are autistic and they know that they, they're brilliant and can work. And then in October, and you talk about the ambassadorship, I, I am the 2013 ambassador for the International Nationally Autistic Peoples Awards. Uh, that will be happening. Uh, it will be the fourth annual Pineapple uh, Awards. I'm just so, wow, honored and humbled to have been asked to be the ambassador for that, and I'm doing as much as I can here in the States to promote that. And, um, of course, I can't forget my management team, uh, Taylor Keith Monarch Group. Uh, Gwen and Tanya have been amazing with helping me to see my vision forward. Uh, I am a crazy man, and they have calmly kept me in line and in a good direction. And musically, oh, my goodness. Um, there seems to have been a resurgence uh, with Hammer and him dancing with uh, Psy, the, the K-pop star, Okay. Gangnam style and all of that, and Hammer and I have been talking back and forth about that really cool situation that he has there, and that's caused some interest in me. I'm now speaking to a record label, believe it or not, uh, their A&R person right now um, about maybe doing something, maybe you know, getting together and seeing if I can uh, put some put some new music out there. So I've got all kinds of things going on because I I believe in my value, you know I, I believe in my value as a person. And you know, you, and you know where you got that from. Uh, I got that from your my mother. mother was so ahead of her time. She's she is amazing. Yep, <laughs> it's amazing. I mean, I mean you, you're just your your. It, 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 to me, it just you know when I I see so many quotes and I didn't read them on purpose. So many quotes about your mother. And yes. I just said to myself, I mean, this is yes. the coolest lady ever. I mean, she yes. just lets you be you. 
And look yes, at what yes. you turned into. It's amazing. You know, and well, I want to just uh, end off with a couple of quotes before we go off here. You said, um, I have no desire to be normal. And, you know, Michael, in my world, there is no normal. I mean, really. And I think everyone, you know, should really look beyond the facade, and they would be able to see that, too, because without exception, every adult that I've interviewed that's on the spectrum has said the exact same thing. So normal or the perception of normal, you know, it's overrated. But what would not having Asperger's have taken away from you? I actually had that thought when... After I got my diagnosis at 43, I had that same question posed to me because the person said, we have this drug and we think you should take it so that you can get the necessary, what do you call it, uh, services and, you know, Mm -hmm. and I turned it down. I said, I think that that would change me fundamentally if all of a sudden I was put on medication. And I just... Decline. I said no. I, I, you know, I know that you're offering me assistance from the government, but I just don't want it. I want to be me. I, I, all of the quirks and everything. Uh, I really don't think that I would have become the kind of songwriter and the kind of record producer uh, if I had, if if any of that stuff was in my system. I just really don't believe. I just really believe that. So I think who I am today and the fact that I'm, I was able to start a 501c3 nonprofit and, and make it work and, you know, logistically and mathematically, and I think my brain works a certain way, and to put anything in it that would stop any of that would just be insane. I don't think I could keep moving and running and doing and any of this stuff if, if, if I didn't. You know, I mean, Michael, obviously, at first I just want everyone to know, if anyone really wants to hear a more in-depth interview about his foundation, Michael was on last year, and you can go on all of our interviews or archives, and you should really go back and take a listen because it really is extraordinary what he's doing. But, you know, I think that of all the quotes um, that I found, this was my favorite. I just want to leave a legacy of music, kindness, and compassion for all types of people. I love people, not in a customer service kind of way. I'm deeply fascinated by how we we are made. Human beings are amazing and are capable of so much that is positive and wonderful, and I'd like to see us one day tap into that awesomeness. I am an autistic person and hope that just being the person I am will be enough of a legacy for the cause. Wow. Love it. Well, you are really such an inspiration, and I, I thank you again for joining us. And you know, before we leave, tell everybody where they can get this book and how they can find you on the Internet, because you've got so many things going on. I just want people to be able to find you. Uh, thank you, um, uh, and I appreciate that, and thank you for having me on your show. This is an amazing program. Um, you can get the book at Amazon.com. If you type into your uh, browser, Autism is My Universe, it's the only book with that title, so it will show up, and you can purchase that book. On the proceeds, 100% of them go to Eighth Autistic Children Foundation, and you can find me on Wow on Facebook uh, at Michael Buckholtz. My last name is B-U-C-K-H-O-L-T-Z, um, and also uh, on Twitter at the Buck Nation. It's one word, actually, the Buck Nation. 
uh, and you can hang out with me and chat with me, and I will answer you back. <laughs> oh, you are. You're, you're worse than me, and I'm pretty bad. <laughs> you are. We're always on, always bumping into each other. Michael's very approachable. And like you said, you know, just check out his social media sites. So, again, Michael, thank you, and keep me posted. And when you're up in New York, let's get together. I will. Thank you. You're very welcome. Um, next week is the Super Bowl, and we are taking the weekend off. Um, so enjoy the Super Bowl. But I just want to make a few announcements. I am thrilled to announce that Dr. Richard Selznick, who is the author of School Struggles, he is also the author of, um, ah, I can't think, I can't think of it. Oh, The Shutdown Learner. Sorry about that, Dr. Selznick. He is the new host on our network. He will be hosting the show School Struggles. It will be starting in March on Tuesday evenings. Ariva Martin, she, you know her as a TV legal analyst. She's an author, founder of the Special Needs Network in L.A. Uh, she will be premiering her show on my network next week, and she's got a great topic because, you know, all of us like to blog, um, write articles. Where, you know, many people are writing e-books about their experiences raising a special needs child, but you don't know the legal implications, really, and that's what she's going to have. First show is going to be on is helping parents navigate the legal system when they're writing about their children. So remember, you are your child's best advocate. If not you, then who? Become an informed, educated parent here on the Coffee Clatch. And again, thank you to Mayo Johnson. Have a great night, everyone. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.